Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, the uh, clocks looks like they all work. They all got set back. Anymore, the clocks just automatically do it. They got some type of a mechanism in that do it. It's a good thing because I've never been able to set some of these new clocks. So uh, I am here on time today. Uh, we're going to look at a, uh, a, a familiar word, and we're going to look at what it means in the whole theme of, of the Christian life. And it seems like wherever you go, this word is thrown around like people understand it. Uh, and the word is grace. And a lot of times if you go down south and you travel by a bunch of churches, they've got some creative saying about grace, grace this, grace that. And sometimes we, we use the phrase, we use the word, we use the terminology, and yet I'm not sure that, that many of us, including myself, grasp it and understand it. Uh, I have come to realize that uh, grace is unique to God and it is alien to man, that it cannot be understood uh, uh, in our own mind. It moves only to love, and it's only understood alongside love. And anything outside of that cannot be comprehended. So you have a lot of terminology that people use, and they read definitions of grace, and they say this is a favor that's undeserved given unto you. And we, we write down these definitions, and we write down words, and we, we think that we have an understanding. But I want to encourage you today to have a little bit of a different mindset I believe grace is a living organism. I believe it is something that can only be comprehended in an atmosphere that we're going to look at today. It doesn't apply. You have a lot of people that will think they understand it even in your own life, but if it does not bathe itself in this, this fluid of grace, it cannot be comprehended, it cannot be understood, and you can't realize it. It is only seen and experienced by being involved in it. Uh, in the scriptures and Galatians, uh, if, let's, let's look at John 1.16. I just want you to listen to this as I read it. We're going to look at a few words. And again, we could, we could spend the entire day. I, I got up this morning and I read in the Phillips translation the book of Galatians, and I thought it was so awesome. I thought I, I should just read that, and that would just be it. And I just closed because it was so incredible. I wouldn't even have to tell you that I read it, and you would have thought it would have been a good sermon. But some of you might have said, well, he just read it. That was just, that wasn't fair. Uh, so we're going to just pick some verses. And in the first one here in John 1, 16 says, For out of his fullness, his abundance, we have all received, we have been supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessings upon spiritual blessings, and even favor upon favor, and gift upon gift. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, no one has seen God nor understands God, but God only has made himself known to us. Another verse here in uh, Galatians 5, and I think it's uh, 5, 4. If you try to be justified by the law, you automatically cut yourself off from the power of Christ. You put yourself outside the range of his grace. For it is a matter of faith, faith which expresses itself in love. And as we break this down a little bit, I'm, I'm going to use some uh, scripture, I'm going to use some illustrations. 
I, I want it to become as practical as we can because I really do believe it is something that you cannot wrap your mind around. It is, it is one of the things they call a mystery. Mystery is something that was hidden by the angels even in former times that then gets unleashed at different periods in our life. And what I'd like to do is have each of us at least have a little bit of the key to unlock this. What does it look like? What does it feel like? How is it experienced? Rather than just reading and say, I'm under grace. If, if you've ever asked anybody, go to any church I'd hear and you ask the church, are you a, a law church or a grace church? All of them will say they're a grace church. Nobody says we're under law because they read enough in there to understand. And yet you find out that uh, many are and most are. And so you find out that uh, this is really a different beast. This is a living organism. Its motivating force is love. And it has to only be understood in a circle of love. Now, it, we're going to do a comparison at the end. I think in your, in your handout, you have a little green uh, deal here. Uh, I just ask you to hold off. Don't start reading and doing all this right now. Well, you, maybe it'd be better. You'd get in the Word and you wouldn't have to listen to me. But this is going to be an exercise I want you to look at. The purpose of this exercise is that I'm going to say a lot of things that maybe will confuse you or maybe they'll just bump against something that you've been taught and you'll kind of rear up a little bit, the hair on the back of your neck. I give you this, these scriptures so that you will read these on your own and let the Word of God just speak to you and just see if these things are not true. Because grace is a radical thing. And if we look at the story of grace when it began to be displayed to us, and I read this this morning and I thought it was an interesting thing, uh, Paul, who was, as you know the story, he was Saul and he was out to kill Christians. He was out to kill anybody that was teaching this, quote, new gospel. He was a Pharisee. He was a, a very religious man, and he held to these promises. He felt this was a threat to not only religion, a threat to what his image of God was, so he began to kill them. And when God drew him to himself and God basically knocked him to the ground and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord, that I know who I'm persecuting? And he said, I am the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say something, and which was really remarkable. It struck me again today. He starts in Galatians chapter 1, and he's going to kind of expose the whole area of grace and law, and he's going to lay them beside themselves, and he's going to contrast them. And he starts out by saying, now, this is not something that I conjured up. It's not something that I heard from the disciples and I heard from the apostles. This is something that came directly from the mouth of Christ to me. He took me aside, and for the first three years, he began to pour into me these truths from an old covenant to a new covenant. In three years, I never talked to anybody. As a matter of fact, I never really even visited any of the disciples. Well, I did go up one time, he said, to give a testimony, and then I came back down. And then for a period of 14 years in the desert, he continued to instruct me in these words. You'll notice if you read it, the emotional, the emotional impact he's saying there is, I'm going to tell you something, and it didn't come from me because you're going to react to it. 
This came from God himself. He was the instructor, and this is him being expressed to you. Now, I, I take it when somebody starts almost two chapters telling us that something's coming. And it ought to be something that's quite radical. It ought to be something that when we look at it, it's going to be alarming to us because we're so used to things. You see, you and I, uh, we grow up, it says we're all conformed to the world. We've been squeezed into what the world has told us. I've never met a man or woman in my entire life that is not squeezed into the confirmation of this world, which basically says you as a human being are valued and worth depending upon what you do, what you stop doing, what you own, what you look like, how you perform. And it says the world has squeezed us into that. And religion didn't do anything different. It just took us and squeezed us into different rules. You see, we just have a different group of people to please now. And he says, you've been squeezed into that and you need squeezed out of it. You need transformed into a new covenant, a new way of living. And this is going to be something that it's going to be a mystery that even angels said they look and they can't comprehend what he's about to tell us. And it has to do with this grace, this living organism. By the way, I just want you to know right off the bat, when we talk about grace, we are not talking about grace is licensed now to do anything you want in sin. That's licentiousness. That's the under, other end of law. See, grace is not in the same room as law in license. You have law over here, and law is all the rules and all of the, the do's and don'ts that people have told you, and you have told your own self, even your own self-imposed rules, and you try in your own effort to try to keep those to merit. And on the other side of that is just saying, I throw up my hands, I'm just going to go do whatever I want and sin all that I want. Those are in the same room. Those exist together. We have too many people that I see that hear the word grace, and they say, well, you just can't take grace too far. If you take it too far, you start sinning. You can't take grace too far. Grace is a person named Jesus Christ. How do you take that too far? I mean, we're going to see some illustrations today that may shock you of what happened. You see a picture of Jesus living out and demonstrating grace of the new covenant for the first time that it's been experienced. They talked about it in the past. The word grace wasn't in the Old Testament. It was the word mercy that was a little different. It's basically something that was going to come as a New Testament truth. And last time I visited with you, we talked about grace for your salvation. Grace that you would come from a place of all of us being unworthy to come into God's kingdom all of us living our life our own way, all of us going our own way makes you separated from God, your own little sins, whatever they might be, and you couldn't do a thing about it. Ephesians says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not a result of you or your works, lest any man or woman should ever boast. It is a gift of God and a gift of God only. And remember we talked about him hanging on the cross and using the example that was used back then in the, in the courts, and he yells out but as he's dying, Telestai. And he says, it is finished. You might want to put that na your name right there. He's hanging on the cross and you've just made a mistake. And he said, Adam, it's finished. It's done. Let's not talk about it again. It is done. It is paid for in full. And he goes through and he does that. This was grace for us to come into a relationship with him. 
But the danger that I have seen in all of my Christian life is most people will embrace that in the Christian world. They'll say, you know what, I now embrace it was Christ. But then we think in some means that we're going to now live the Christian life by our own effort, on our own perspective. And God says, if you began by grace to salvation, what thinks you are going to complete this by some works of the law? He says, I'm going to demonstrate to you a new covenant. This is an abstract covenant. There's not always right and wrong. You see, the law is concrete. It's cold, it says. It's concerned always with right and wrong. And by the way, if you're married, you'll agree with me, being right is not all it's cracked up to be. I've I've hurt my relationship being right. 1 Corinthians says, love, if you have all the stuff, you know everything that angels don't even know, and you have not love, you're nothing. This thing is rolled in love. It's bathed in love. And that love is the fact that you embrace what I talked about earlier, is that this God, madly in love with you, came, paid a debt that you could not pay, and you couldn't pay it back ever in the history of mankind, so don't try to work your way through it. He came and said, I'm choosing you. When we let that love bathe us, it says the height, the depth, the width of that type of love, it will penetrate us. And in the process of penetrating us and living in us, it cannot be confined, so it starts to move out from you. When it does, you now touch into the resources of grace. You can't experience grace until it does this. It just is amazing. There was a guy that ministered to my life for just years, years and years and years. It seemed like that every time I'm going into some type of a a painful, hellish event or whatever, he's just coming out of it. And so he would give me the insight that God gave him, and he did most of all of his instruction to me through tapes. And I listened to tapes, and I would, it didn't matter what I was going through, I would, I would get a hold of his series of what he was doing, and it would be right where I was. Since then, the man has died, and, and to be honest with you, I miss him. Because now I've got to bump through it myself. But he shared an illustration, and I'll never forget this illustration, he used to go and he used to speak nationally, and there was a guy that he was with, and, and the guy that uh, was speaking was well, well known in the South. His name was Manly Beasley. And uh, he did a conference. Uh, it was in Dallas. It was a really busy, busy conference. People were there, and the Spirit of God moved heavily upon the place. And when the conference was over, one of the nights it was over, they got into the car, and my friend Ron kind of got him in the car, and they were getting ready to take off, and a downpour of rain just hit. It was just poor. You could hardly see out the windows with the wipers going full speed. And they were in the car, and they were kind of looking around, and the next thing you know, they hear this on the window. And they're looking, who in the world in their right mind is standing outside our window? And they, and my friend rolls the window down just a little bit. It's still water's coming in. And there's a guy standing out there, and he's taking his shoes off. And he's trying to get the shoes to the door. And he says, I'm supposed to give these shoes to you. 
And both of them look at each other, and they look at these dark burgundy shoes, size 8 triple A's, and they pull it in, and the guy rolls up the window, and he walks off in his socks, just slopping in the water. They said a few funny things about it, and, and they looked at each other. Neither of them were even close to size 8. They didn't know what in the world was going on. They said, well, that's strange. This guy's a little odd. <laughs> About six months later, traveling in, the, uh, in their circuit of speaking, uh, the guy that the shoes were given to, uh, it was at his house, and another speaker came in, and the speaker came in, and he says, I, I really have a predicament here. And he said, what's going on is I went and I bought this black suit, and when I got out in the sun, it wasn't black. It was dark burgundy. And he says, I have no shoes that go with this. I got these black shoes. I get out in the sun, and it just looks odd. And the man, he says, what color did you say? He says, dark burgundy. He goes, I have a pair of shoes I have kept that were given to me one day. And he went and got them, and he says, but these are a real weird size. What size do you wear? And he says, eight triple A. And he says, I have the shoes you're supposed to wear. And that went in their mind. They started to kind of wiggle around thinking, who hears God like this? And the guy that ministered to me, this story just penetrated him. When he got older in his life, he got to where he was so busy he needed a helper, and, and he was set out, and he was going to find somebody that could help him and serve him. And in his mind, he was thinking, I would love someday to find this guy that hears God that well. He did a conference one time, and, and the news got out that he was looking for somebody. <laughs> this guy comes up and says, hey, I, I know you're looking for somebody. I, uh, I want to work for you. And he said, well, I appreciate it, but I'm looking for a particular person. And he says, oh, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. And he goes, no, no, I'm looking for a particular person that can hear God and listens to God and is bold enough to step out and be seen as foolish. He goes, I'm the guy. And he said, no, no, I'm looking for a guy that one day, years ago, took off his shoes. He goes, yep, size 8, triple A's. I'm the guy. I've heard more stories like that than I could ever repeat. And I don't know if it happens to you, but it happens to me. Don't you even something inside your gut say, I'd like to hear like that? I would like to be that tuned in to the voice of God. And we're going to look at this today that I think you can. I think you can. But there are some things that have to happen. The Scripture says in here, if you try this by any rules, copying any images, you're going to automatically cut yourself off from the power of Christ and you put, your outs you put yourself outside the range of His grace for it is only a matter of faith. We don't like the unpredictable. We don't like the abstract. We don't like things that are uh, abstract and you think, oh, I don't even know what it is. We like the predictable. We like to go ahead and measure things. We like to name things. We like to put things in order. We like to title things and measure things. David got in trouble. Remember all the troubles that he did. He got basically in trouble because God said, quit 
measuring your troops, and he went and measured his troops anyway. We measure our money. We measure our troops. We measure our converts. We, we do all this. We like patterns, and then we like to copy. See, the tendency that some of you got right now hearing that story is, next time it's raining, I'm taking my shoes off, which doesn't demand anything here in God. It just demands copying the story. The religious community, are, there's something sick about them that we, they try to make us all look the same. Have you ever noticed that? What God is putting on their heart, they want you to have on your heart. And so we have a bunch of people looking, walking around, mimicking each other. D.L. Moody gets moved by the Spirit of God, and he, and he has this phenomenal idea that he is going to do something that was never done before, and it was odd, and nobody liked what he was doing. And he took some buses, and he went into the dark city, and he started a thing called Sunday school at church. Never before. God anointed the thing, and it took off. So guess what happened from then on until now? We all want Sunday school. I'm not saying it's bad to have Sunday school. I'm just saying sometimes we don't think. We just automatically go with what worked because really that doesn't demand a relationship and it doesn't actually even have to be bathed in love. You see, this is really uncomfortable. But see, grace comes in not only for your salvation, grace comes in for you and me now. It's, as we have explained before, it's like a net. It's like a net that the trapeze guy has, and when he's doing his movements on the trap, tramp or on the bar like this, yes, it does protect his life if he falls, but when you ask somebody that's in that, they say that's not the main reason. The main reason that there is a net is so that we can attempt all kinds of things and we can attempt them and fall and get, get land in the net and go up and try it again. It helps us keep getting better and better and better at what we do. Have you ever seen the extreme sports that you watch in the Olympics, guys on bikes and motorcycles that do all these different things? They didn't learn this by making one shot on the concrete. They had all this padding and all these nets and they would try it and they would fail and they'd get back and say, oh, I gotta do this. This is what grace can do for you and me. We can actually live outside the bounds of this confined thing and take some chances. I think too many Christians tiptoe through life just to arrive at death safely. If anybody ought to be experiencing the freedom, it ought to be us. We ought to let grace come upon us in such a way that we are willing to be bold enough to try anything that we hear God tell us to do. And I promise you, it won't look always religious. It might just shock you. I've used the illustration of, and make yourself alive in the experiences. I use the illustration of Jesus where they said, this might be the Messiah. This could be the Messiah. And they all ran to where the Messiah was assumed to be, which was at the temple. And sure enough, he was at the temple. And he was speaking words they had never heard before. They couldn't understand these words. They were so transferring and moving people into the new covenant of what it would be like. And they ran back and they got their friends and they said, you ought to hear this man speak. It's amazing what he's speaking. He's speaking words that are absolutely life-giving. And I think he's just a carpenter. So they get all these groups of people and they go and they're going to join in. And they go to the temple and they're looking around and he's not in the temple. And they start looking for him, and they find him over drinking wine with the tax collectors. They're thinking, what in the world are you over here for? Remember his answer? I decide as my father bids me to decide. I do at the moment I'm told to do. 
Every word you hear is my Father speaking his words through me. Everything you see me do, my Father just told me to do. I do nothing on my own effort. Everything is done by the Father's love embracing me to pour out grace, and I, so I decide as I'm bidden. That's why they killed him. They couldn't, they couldn't figure him out. Why in the world are we trying to get ourselves in so predictable things? We've done a good job of having the world hate us because we, we come under the critical eyes of judgment and condemnation. It's cold. We're so caught on being right that we'll ruin relationships for that. Now, I'm not saying we go outside the confines of God's character or his word. But I'm saying if you want to look at grace as it saved you and you can't understand it, as it frees you to be able to live life and, and live in ways that you may just be absolutely blown away, and then to the other thing, grace is going to be meant for you to how can you pour grace upon other people. It's impossible. When people hurt you and they, they do things that, that upset you, the tendency for us is we throw judgment and we turn away and we walk away rather than saying, how have we not been given grace so that we can extend grace to those that are in need of grace? Let every word that comes out of your mouth proceed from it, a mouth of grace that is bathed in love. And how does this happen? See, I don't want us to have a nice little formula here that says this is what grace is. Check, 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 check. I've done that and I still do that a lot of times. Get up in the morning. Have my quiet time. Read my psalm, read my proverb, read my New Testament, read my Old Testament. Memorize a scripture, pray for somebody. Check. Okay? So if you ask me how I'm doing, I say good. Doing good. Why? Because I checked. Okay? Because I performed well. And God might not be doing that that morning. That might say, go ahead, I'm over here. <clears throat> it's uncomfortable to be unpredictable. One more example, and then I want to close with a couple things that, to give you assignments. There was another guy. This guy was uh, Charles Trumbull. I, he was the Billy Graham years ago. And uh, he had a great ministry. He embraced grace. I read some of his later uh, writings when he just found out what grace was in the new covenant. He had lived a lot of his life underneath uh, the law, although being a believer, and I've been there. And, and so this, this man, he was just a neat, neat man. And everybody knew him like people would know Billy Graham. But at that day, when you traveled to the Coliseums, there was trains, and so you got in trains. He always went to the back and sat with the common people, and he went into the back of this train, and he was sitting there, and, and beside him were a bunch of people talking. And then there was one guy, and he was kind of, kind of a rough guy, bearded guy, and he had a little brown sack, and he just kept... And then he'd look at him and say, care for a sip? I told this the first service, and they said I was too good at that. I said, <laughs> and Mr. Trumbull says, no, thank you. And he'd go on a little bit more, and he'd say, are you sure you don't want a little bit nip? And he'd say, nah, I'm all right. Continued that. Pretty soon the conductor comes back, and they stop at the Coliseum, and he says, Mr. Trumbull, we're at the Coliseum. And this guy's face, if it could turn any redder, it did. It turned red. And he looked at his bottle and he looked at Mr. Trumbull as somebody would look at Billy Graham today. And he said, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I suppose you think I'm a no-good drunk. Mr. Trumbull said, oh, sir, on the contrary, I think you're a very generous man. 
That guy came to faith. He went on to write commentaries for the Bible because of one man being sensitive to the Spirit of God and demonstrating grace to a person. Now, that doesn't mean when you're out and somebody offers you a drink that you say the same thing. See, we like that. We like that. It means that we can operate outside the walls of rules and outside the walls of all these things that we got put down. And do you notice the cool thing about this? This type of life demands you being intimate with your God. Law doesn't want you intimate with God. Satan doesn't want you intimate with God. In your marriage, in your job, whatever it is you're doing, if you can say, God, my, this is about bathing in your love, the intimacy of your love, so that your grace can live within me because it's the only place that grace can be realized. Comet says, for us to ever understand this truth, grace, we have to see it expressed visibly and we have to witness it being revealed supernaturally. And it can only be done this way through understanding that. This is the new covenant. Scripture says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is a definition that you can't predict what this is going to look like. By the way, this makes life really exciting. You wake up in the morning and you say, oh, Father, what an incredible day. Thank you for what you've done for me and poured upon me that's something that's undeserving. Now live within me, abide within me, that I might be able to experience your love in me so that anybody that I walk by, some of your love splashes on them in some sense of the way. And I know that you can do that through me. I cannot do that. Only the Spirit of God who is the motivating force that says Jesus Christ is the only force, the source of force that grace can be expressed live it through me today, and then listen to what might come. If you remove the law and the legalism and the judgmentalness from you, you're going to hear things that will absolutely shock you what might be asked of you. I did share this example. I don't see my son here today. Uh, was it last week I shared with you his little birthday party that, that he had? Is Brogan three? And ask him what he wanted to do for his birthday party. Some of you were there. Most of us would think, oh, let's have a little minion birthday party. And Brogan wanted a cigar birthday party. <laughs> and I believe his parents heard. I believe they did what was right. I can still see the picture today. I'll never forget it. The little three-year-old, legs crossed, sitting out with all the men with his cigar. We did tell him, blow, don't suck. We should have told him to suck just to go ahead and get you. He'll never forget that. It was the greatest birthday party of his three years. <laughs> what makes somebody decide to throw a three-year-old a cigar birthday party? I believe that he heard grace. He heard it. He exercised it. And so did Sherry. Sherry was really a big part of it. Uh, I couldn't. I, get, I throw up if I have a cigar. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> this is a way that if you would like to jump into this life, embrace, first of all, the love that's came to you, that God has called you. Second of all, let grace 
affect you that you can take chances and live out there and the net will catch you and if it happens to not be guess what it's already been covered and it says and grace abounds even more so when you take that chance that maybe that t cigar deal what if it wasn't of God and he thought it was of God it says if you will go ahead and do that and if it's not of God then grace will abound all the more he'll actually be filled with more grace don't be afraid don't tiptoe through life just to get to death safe the exercise I want you to do as the singers come up here is you have this that's given to you. Don't, don't do it right now, but tonight you're going to see on one side there's a whole list of, of things that grace does. On the right side's a whole thing that law does, and you're going to have all the verses. I started with just little outlines. I want you to read those sometime this week, and on your own words, just write down what it's saying to live with grace and what it means to live under law. And then ask yourself when you're all done writing it down and you just stop, step back and look at it. Where do you want to live? And you'll look at this. This is a no-brainer. One arouses sin. One brings condemnation. One brings a judgment. One brings death. One increases sin. The other one brings freedom. It brings liberty. It brings love. And see which way you want to live. As the singers sing the last song, just ask God if you can be a carrier and a barrier of his grace.